0: Happened this week jill not a thing (laughs) nothing at all
1: it's been a perfectly quiet uneventful (laughs) few days um
0: (laughs) is there a state on our naughty list now uh
1: (laughs) um yeah there is um so we you know some stuff happened in texas this week Mm.
0: some hey you know what this is digression and by the way hi imogen (laughs) hi aaron
1: it's great to be here
0: I actually got, uh, I lived in Houston for a little bit uh, and I got attacked by the drunk people and uh, they broke my jaw. So, <laughs> so I have no love for Texas. Oh um, my no, goodness. No, Texas is fine. Yeah. That's a long, when I was 20. Um, yeah.
1: That's, that's, that's a brawl. Were you in like a roadside, uh, like a, a honky tonk?
0: <laughs> it was a gas station and I was park I was next to a van with some people that had cussed them out. And they thought it was me, and so I didn't mean to get into this. So they came around the van with a quarter roll, and um, yeah. So anyway,
1: (laughs) okay. So Texas.
2: (laughs) This is a a very very noir opening. (laughs)
0: This This is is
2: all of
1: this all of this is noir
0: (laughs) here. Screenwriters can. Are, are are welcome to take that story.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, not that you got your jaw broken, but what a story.
0: <laughs> um, so, Jill, I, I was very proud of you this week. Um, for do you want to just kind of talk about what you? Yeah. So, um,
1: you know, we had this thing happen on and uh, in Texas where they the the government in Texas had drawn up this ridiculous, and Greg Abbott sat, signed into law, this very, very, very restrictive um, abortion bill in Texas. And, um, and you know, abortion activists had been keeping an eye on this for some time. And uh, it went into effect on uh, midnight uh, Central Time, Texas Time, this past Wednesday, um, and basically, the Supreme, the Supreme Court had an opportunity to speak up and say, no, nah, this is unconstitutional. This this can't go through. And a lot of the more restrictive abortion bills, like in my state of Georgia, did mm-hmm. get, uh, you know, shot down even after signed into law because they were found unconstitutional. And so that was kind of the hope here However, the Supreme Court has uh, changed in makeup over the last couple of years, especially last summer after Ginsburg died. Mm. And so the worry was that this would stand, this new law would stand. And so a lot of people, myself included, were up all night, that Wednesday night, refreshing uh, or Tuesday night, refreshing uh, our Twitter feeds to see, you know, if the Supreme Court was going to speak up before the deadline. They did not. Um, and so the law went into effect at midnight. Um, and then it was another full day before the Supreme court spoke up and they basic, the law stands. And so it effectively overturns Roe in the state of Texas. And, um, like a lot of women, I was really pissed off about it. And so I wanted to, I am already a sustaining donor to Planned Parenthood but I wanted to do something more to one of the abortion access funds in Texas that are doing the hard work of making sure that women have safe access. So I decided to donate some money to uh, Lilith Fund, which is one of the, the organizations on the ground in Texas. And you know, I am a freelancer and work has been extremely light as of late. And so I can't do much. I was only able to donate $50. And I thought, well, how can I maximize my donation? Well, I can reach out to the people on Twitter who follow me and maybe I can uh, incentivize a little bit and tie it into classic film, which mm-hmm. many of my followers are uh, classic film fans, and I got to thinking about all of the women, the actresses, um, who had had an abortion before it was legal and and in very unsafe uh, conditions, and the first actress I thought of was Myrna Loy. Mm. And she had an abortion in the thirties and she talked about it in her autobiography, Being and Becoming. And then later, I believe it was Emily Leiter in her, in her biography that talked about it more and, and it actually had left her infertile. So I said, well, um, how about, you know, if you donate to Planned Parenthood or Lilith fund or really any abortion access fund, um, you know, any amount, I'll draw, randomly draw, uh, a name and send you a copy of Myrna's book and then I had some offers um, the my friend Kate Gabrielle who has a store and she design ha, designs all kinds of pens and t-shirts and things and she has a Myrna Loy pen that that she's offered up and some stickers she's offered up and then my friend um, Christina Rice who wrote the biography of Anne Dvorak and then just didn't win on Jane Russell. She offered up Jane, her Jane Russell book. Cause Jane Russell, who was very right wing and mm-hmm. very Catholic and very uh, pro-life also had an abortion uh, early mm-hmm. on in her career that also left her infertile. So um, she offered that up. So We've raised, last I checked, it was like $900 in a oh, couple days. Um, mm. So not a ton of money, but...
0: It all counts, yeah. I, I mean, it's f- better I than my...
1: <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, it's better than my 50. I mean, I maximized the $50 mm-hmm. that I was able. And and it actually got a little bit of traction, and and, and it prompted some, some people. And a lot of people were making the donations in her memory, mm-hmm. which I just thought was so... And I think she would have... I think she would have loved that, you know? Um, so yeah, that was that. And then I got interviewed by the wall street journal market watch blog, which that's was just crazy. really weird. And um, it was not at all. I mean, i they took one quote for me, which was, this was the Oh crap moment. That's the quote they pulled. <laughs> and um <laughs> you know, so that's, you know, that, that was, um, that was that. So Um, but anyways, so this book I'm giving, you know, going to give out is, you know, Being and Becoming, which, um, has been long out of print and, but it is coming back into print. And is that something Mm, we can discuss? Yes, we can discuss this
2: (laughs) because this is now on the website of the, Mm the, um, of the, the publisher. Um, I mean, first of all, I just have to say, I, I love what, also what you did this week, Jill. I'm oh, thrilled to see that. And it happens that just, you know, a few months ago, I had the, you know, this is such a cliche to say, I had the honor, blah, 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 but this really was an <laughs> honor for me. I wrote the foreword to this uh, forthcoming uh, re-release of Myrna Loy's autobiography. It's from a British publisher called Dean Street Press, which is dedicated to uh, reviving books that, um, you know, republishing books that are currently unavailable. And they have one of their kind of focuses is on classic Hollywood. And this, for anyone who has not read this book, this is such a wonderful, it's really one of the best autobiographies by a Hollywood
1: star, and- It's exceptional. I mean, just absolutely knocks you over. Myrna Loy is, well, I think my
2: friend with Nema said probably the best comment about this book, which is, even if you have never seen any of Myrna Loy's films, this book will make you her slave. You know, is everything you want her to be, she is, you know, like just as witty and elegant and upstanding. In, in life as she is on screen. And um, mm. she was a tremendous activist. I mean, a lot of people in Hollywood had, you know, were interested in politics and, and gave money and so forth. But I mean, this was really a lot of work that she did. She was very involved with the creation of uh, UNESCO and the United Nations in, the, in America after the war. She was very involved with the civil rights movement. She was a co-chair of this national organization against um, discrimination in housing. Her co-chair was Lena Horn's uncle, Frank Horn. Um, you know, she was. She can. She, um, you know, campaigned for people like Adlai Stevenson. She campaigned for Eugene McCarthy in 1968. She was barnstorming around the country with these college students who couldn't figure out what this, you know, old Tom <laughs> the Hollywood movie actress was doing, you know, but they realized that she was working harder than any of them. And, mm. you know, she was really uh, someone who, who gave a tremendous amount of herself to the causes that she believed in. So I think, That's awesome. you know, you're absolutely right that she would have been thrilled to be the subject of campaign.
1: And I've never met anyone who didn't like her
2: mm-hmm. or even, you
1: know, she's so, she's just so charming and, mm-hmm. and lovely. And, and you can, in all of her roles, it, if she feels like a friend mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that someone that you could, that you could just hang out with and with, no judgment just down to earth i i just want i want to be her friend <laughs> <laughs> don't we yeah. all yes
2: she was she was buddies with eleanor roosevelt and you know all and crossed paths with all kinds of people i mean it really is a wonderful book for anyone who has not read it i
0: yeah well i haven't and i cannot yeah, I wait oh it.
1: aaron you have you
0: so I'm, I'm going to buy it, and it's going to be we, – we joke uh, when we really love a Criterion disc, it's uh, we put it right in the player. So I guess I'll put this right on my nightstand, or I don't know what the analogy is. But, yeah, I love her films. Love her as a person.
1: There are, there are two things that I buy if I see it in a mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will buy so many Uh, on the Myrna Loy book. If I see a copy of it somewhere, I snag it. I mean, I'm just insane. (laughs) I have so many copies of this book and then um, Steely Dan's Asia. Like if I see if I see that I'm like, interesting
0: you That's know, a great it's a great album,
1: album yeah. but like why do i need so many copies of it i'm just like <laughs> i'm so afraid that i'm never going to find it oh and notorious uh, i've got like 10 yeah, yeah. copies of notorious you know anything to do with that movie so it's just a it's a great book
0: aaron you've got to read it um I definitely yeah. will and yeah a great way to tie activism with film history and i, I did know that story about, about myrna but i did not know all the other... Um, I didn't know she was friends with Eleanor Roosevelt, so um, can't wait. And and we have a great guest here, uh, Imogen Sarah Smith. And I want to get... Actually, you inspired this. I want to just get get a little housekeeping out of the way about our show. So obviously, Jill, you're an activist, um, and I, I love that about you. and uh, And I love what you did this week. I was like so proud and even to see you in Market watch even though they didn't <laughs> they, they they ignored the Myrna Lloyds part which I thought was kind of burying the lead yeah very proud of you but the, the thing is thank you you are very much yourself and we've tried to make this uh, show very inclusive very intentional um, and, however I've, I've kind of been neutral with political issues I don't know, I, sh- I shouldn't even say political issues but just ongoing issues so I just want to kind of lay the groundwork from here on out. We're going to be inclusive of race, gender, ability, um, and um, it's not about politics. You know, it's at science, science especially, um, but but within the context of film, we're not. It's not going to become a um, <laughs> an IND uh, podcast. So, and and Imogen, actually, you you prompted some of this uh, based on your um, I guess motivation. So I, I appreciate that, and I'm thrilled to have you because I'm a huge fan. I've Seen, you're like all over Criterion now. I've seen I think twenty twenty things by you. I, I I've lost count. I, I actually tried to look for everything you've been on, and um, it's, there's not an easy way to find it. Um, but welcome. It's great to
1: be here. Yes, we're very happy to have you. Very happy. I'm I'm a very big fan as well. Thank you. I I certainly hope I'm not wearing out
2: my welcome.
1: With...
2: <laughs> not at all. I always love the things that I do with Criterion and. Um,
0: They're always great. really
2: grateful to, for the opportunities that I've had, and and I just also want to you know support what you just said because I think it is important to say that you know movies don't exist in some kind of vacuum separated from the rest of the of life. The people who made them were people living in times and places affected by whatever was going on in terms of politics, culture. Access to healthcare and so on yeah. and so forth and so to me to leave things out in some kind of effort to not say anything that somebody might disagree with is really an artificial yeah it's an artificial separation of movies from life and of course we as film lovers as film critics or whatever we are are also people living in you know mm-hmm. our own times with our own struggles and. Um, I think there's always a way to bring things together intentionally and thoughtfully Mm -hmm. um, without making things just some kind of platform for an unrelated, uh, you know, uh, agenda. But that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. if we really look at what these films are as cultural entities
0: yeah, you're really good at contextualizing these with your essays, and and I, I never think about the um, any sort of lean uh, the way you um, will uh, summarize a film. So I, yeah, I, I appreciate you. I I know that we have uh, within our audience you have a lot of fans. Um, now, when every every time announcement day comes up, um, well, Citizen Kane, you were on that. Um, or, no, you weren't on that. I'm sorry. No.
2: Uh,
0: oh, sadly, sorry.
2: no. I'm not on. I'm not on Citizen Kane.
0: Hi Sierra, though. Uh,
2: I'm on High Sierra. Um,
0: um, it's right. I'm right. Uh Farron is on yes, Citizen Kane. I yes. for- forgot about that. So um, she's, yeah, as I mentioned, she, she's our friend too. But um, but you, you, so you do a lot of Criterion work, but uh, you've done a lot of other, and, and you've done videos, interviews, essays. Com- I think a couple commentaries for Criterion. I
2: have. I've actually not done any commentaries for crit- Criterion. I've done quite a few commentaries for Kino Lorber and um, recently done. Ah, yes. Erin uh, is, is showing the Ida Lupino set where I did The Hitchhiker. And I've done some commentaries for some uh, international mm-hmm. uh, UK and Australian releases. Um, mostly film noir. That's, I guess, what people associate me with. But, I mean, I I think of myself first and foremost as a writer i realize it, it's kind of an interesting um somewhat unexpected development that I, that i've started <laughs> to be asked to do on camera things and commentaries and um but writing is really my first love my greatest love
0: and i want to get to your actual you know, written writing or not written writing <laughs> it's all written <laughs> uh, <laughs> but your books but uh but one thing i noticed when looking so yeah you you are becoming like the um the noir go to, especially urban <coughs> noir, which ties in with your studies. But um, I, I notice you have really, it, the, the essays you do are often, you know, not in, on that subject. Um, I think if I remember you did one for Elevator to the Gallows. Um, uh, I think, didn't you do?
2: Well, um, what I uh, really love most about Criterion is that they will allow me sometimes quite a bit of latitude to write mm-hmm. broadly on topics that are not necessarily directly connected to their releases and that are topics that I just wanted to explore. So for instance, um, I did this essay about women walking in cinema, looking at it. Aesthetically, culturally, politically, what does it mean when you're watching a woman walk on screen? That was a subject that I'd been thinking about forever. And, you know, because I have such a wonderful, Editor Liz at Criterion, you know, when I pitched her mm. this kind of nebulous idea, she said, "Go for it." <laughs> um, and they are always open to my writing, sort of um, essays that bring together a number of different films. And I've written about hotel rooms in noir. I've written about films set on the waterfront. Um, I've written the the most recent thing that actually just came out yesterday was about the. Um, Il Cinema Retrovado Festival in Bologna, which I went to in July and have been to and written about several times in the past. So um, I love being able to think really broadly about cinema and and even connect cinema to, to other, you know, subjects of interest. And they have kind of given me that uh, freedom.
0: That's great. Which I'm
1: very grateful for.
0: Yeah, no, but you're, you're good at it.
1: I love the uh the unconventional angles. I uh, Sheila O'Malley did a great piece on backting mm. Another of my favorite writers and in- she's so good. She's <laughs> and she's done one of uh, of you know like men looking in the mirror. Uh, yes. but the the mm. one was fantastic. It's all just you know the the way she can just break down And and I know it comes from her training as, as an actor too, um, but very uh, unconventional angles. And I think that's what makes your writing and Farron's writing and Sheila's writing so exciting uh, that you're not just coming at it from the most obvious uh, approach. So I, I love it. It's a, it's
0: a great perspective. Yes. Absolutely. And
1: that's what happens when we get more uh, women, you know in yeah. the field which has been uh, so dominated by by men, no offense, Aaron, but it's it's
0: Hey, I, I'm not writing essays <laughs> for criteria. <It's> fine. But <laughs> my feelings it's, aren't it's, hurt but and I don't want to
1: it's great to have those different perspectives. Um mm.
0: yeah. Different voices, yep. uh yeah it's it's great so glad we have yours Imogen and while we're on that topic um so you've written I think is it two books uh one yes. is the, the, the one that I think uh is responsible for you being kind of typecast <laughs> uh for lack of a better term as the noir uh we'll say the noir gal um, norista and um and also it. Buster Keaton books so do you want to talk about and and, and actually before how did you get into um film studies did you um and did you study the film or how, how did this come about?
2: So I really think of myself as a writer first, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not have a degree in film studies. All of my film history and, you know, film critical knowledge is really what I've picked up myself over the years of reading and watching films. Um, I, my background is actually in English literature, so I, I, come from a, from really a background of literature and writing. Um, but I realized at a certain point, you know, film was one of my greatest loves and one of the things I was most interested in. And what I found was that I think the reason I love writing about film more than any other subject is that there are so many different ways you can approach it. You can approach it from a literary standpoint where you're talking about narrative and you're talking about language. You can approach it as writing about visual art because there's the aspect of it that is photography and that is um, purely visual. You can approach it in terms of performance, and you can approach it in terms of all of these kinds of social, cultural, political contexts. And you can, you know, weave all of these things together and, and focus things in different ways. And I think it just gives you so much latitude and there's there's always more to kind of explore Mm -hmm. just the experience of cinema and what the kind of prevalence of cinema means for our modern existence and all you know all kinds of things Mm -hmm. um that are that are really fun to write about so um I sort of drifted into it I guess but it was what I found worked worked for me that I found the most rewarding and also that I found other people seemed the most interested in reading of my writing, um, and uh, the Buster Keaton book was really one of the the first big things that I did. He was kind of my first great cinema love. I realized that seems nice. like it's a long way away from film noir. Um, what can I say? You know, we all have our you know we're we all are made up of a lot of different different tastes and different interests. Um, but I I loved writing about him. Um, And yeah, I was, you know, noir was an interest of mine, um, and it's, so much has been written about noir. I was kind of waiting until I could find something that I felt hadn't been overly, you know, already done or overly covered. And I started thinking about films with unconventional settings, particularly not set in cities. People tend to assume that film noir is always about the dark city. And of course, that is the central kind of visual metaphor of noir. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that there are uh, so many films with all different kinds of settings. Um, I focused in the book, I focused only on American film. And that was really because I was trying to tie this together with talking about what was going on in a post-war United States with the kind of suburbanization and growth of the highway system and attitudes towards space and towards travel that I think are very uniquely American. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like that interest that I had in these sort of unconventional things, and I did write about, um, you know, the Mexican border as a setting in noir, which is actually what then kind of led to the very first thing I ever did for Criterion, which was um, talking about Ride the Pink Horse. But um, I feel like that then has kind of led me since then further and further into an interest in in noir from other countries and noir is a kind of international phenomenon.
1: So, um, And have you been exploring, you know, as you started writing about noir, did that lead you on the journey to explore these other... Uh, international noir, or were you already familiar with those?
2: Well, I think like most people, I started out really with the American films from the 40s and 50s with Mm -hmm. the films that are most commonly
0: classic Hollywood, classic
2: Hollywood noir. I mean, that was, and those are the films that served as the kind of uh, reason for the whole concept to be named and parsed by the French, of course. it was, it was right. the French looking at American yeah. films and recognizing this phenomenon and, and recognizing this as a sort kind of sort of uh, definable cycle of films. Mm-hmm. So I started, that's where I started. Right. and those were the first films that I you know that I loved and that I thought about and wrote about.
1: Um, and what was the first film noir that really just knocked you over? Like where you knew, where you just knew that like, this is it. This oh, is it for
2: Probably, me. probably out of the past, which oh. is such a
0: oh, that's conventional,
2: great. but you know, it's, that yeah. it. it's, that's the, it's the definitive. It's perfect. It's got everything.
0: It's It perfect. checks all the yeah. boxes. Yeah. Um,
2: um, and love I love, is. I love that. the I love film noir that has that kind of dreamy quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like sort of, um, yeah. that whole sort of dreamy interiority
1: and, mm-hmm. um, it's got Mitchum, it's got, it's got look, everything. All the it's best great. people say oh. Out of the Past when I ask that question. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting to yes. see if they're going to say Maltese Falcon <laughs> or if they're going to say Double and Demi. Mm. And they're all great. But when I hear Out of the Past was that one, I'm going, oh yeah, that's it. Yep. it's yeah, It's got it all.
2: Yes, and ah. it is a film that has a lot of non-urban settings. Right. So it's actually one of the things I was thinking about. It opens with these scenes that kind of look like Ansel Adams, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, what are we doing in in the mountains? Um, So it's one of the films, I think, that that inspired me to think broadly. And I feel like part of my whole take on film noir has to do with um, a lot of the discourse around noir, I feel, is very much about boundaries and how do we define this and is this film really a film noir or not right right people have all these debates and there are is this kind of sense of of checking the boxes right. and and i you know there's obviously there's value in trying to understand what is this thing why are we defining it why are we using this term but i'm always interested in thinking in thinking about it broadly and if i want to talk about a film that okay you know maybe this is not sort of the most Uh, conventional, or maybe this isn't really, quote unquote, a film noir, but if I think it's interesting to talk about within that whole same Mm -hmm. kind of universe of themes Mm -hmm. and, and whatever it is we love about film noir, why not?
1: You know, I feel like it's boring. Otherwise,
2: yes, you can't. and, And there is a point where you can't just watch double indemnity you know, for the thousandth right. time, a
0: hundred times so that may be.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the most perfect example. Well, and, and so, I'm
1: always in favor of shaking up the canon a little bit. Absolutely. you know, mm-hmm. I totally um, And I can't think of how many times you know somebody's tried to bait me with an argument that, oh, well, that's not noir. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> who cares? Yeah it's, like, I mean.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not an interesting conversation. No, in fact, we just we just, too just watched sweets sweet smell success for this, uh, this film noir cl- class and there are a couple of boxes that doesn't check. Uh, and, and there are a couple, I mean, really there's no, there's no femme fatale, there's no a- antagonist. Um, I mean, I guess all, everybody's an antagonist in that film, but it, it has all these noir elements as well. So I,
2: I Oh yeah. I mean, there uh, are many, there are many films like that. And I think a lot of the most interesting ones, I mean, Nightmare Alley and, yeah. uh, in a lonely place, which is, is, you know, the film, I, if, if I have to kind of say what my favorite one is, it would probably be In a Lonely Place. Mm-hmm. No, you know, again, there's like no gangsters, no guns, right. no private eyes, no femme fatale, um, but it is totally the mood mm-hmm. and, the, and the feeling of, you know, despair and alienation and, um, and that kind of, of real delving into the dark spaces of the mind that to me is what
1: i mean i'm in is. the yeah. you know big lebowski is noir camp you know like i mean it has so many i mean it's a lot of things but i always always uh, there it's got some nor norish elements to it you know and it so does, yeah. the, you know i'm all i'm all for expanding what that and i think that you know uh, the uh Czar of Noir, our friend Eddie Muller, I think he would agree that that we've got some... Absolutely, he
2: does. And he, you know, loves to kind of uh, color outside the lines, Mm -hmm. go out, you know, bring in films. And, you know, I I go usually, pre-pandemic, would go every year for the uh, Film Noir Festival, the Noir City Festival Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And it's all, we would always kind of laugh together about the people who would be kind of horrified because he was showing, you know, he showed, one year he uh, showed Love Me or Leave Me with, you know, Doris Day. I
1: love it.
2: People's heads are gonna explode because I'm (laughs) a Doris Day movie at Noir City, you know? Um, But, you know, I mean, I really believe that fundamentally, noir is kind of ambiguous. And nebulous because it's about ambiguity right Mm -hmm. about sort of loss of certainty and it's about not being able to necessarily say who's good or bad or um you know that kind of being in a state of of ambivalence or ambiguity is to me what noir is about and so the very Mm. kind of act of trying to like act as if it can be definitively scientifically defined is sort of going against what it really is it's always a pull towards some sort of you know mystery and state of certainty
1: yeah there's no there's no magic formula on that you know Um, but you'll have people that go well do you see you know the shadow from the from the blinds and i'm like all right come (laughs) on that's that's not you know it doesn't have that it's not noir i I actually remember being in a a, a film class in college and there was just one there's always that guy and that guy was you know (laughs) literally checking off oh well it has the venetian blinds check it has, mm-hmm. you know, shadow check, and I'm
0: like, right. oh god, the you Batall, know, yeah. come on. Um, frankly, I think the um, the more interesting noirs are the ones that kind of um, escape those boundaries. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, I'm sure. Out of the past is checked all the boxes and did it so lovely, uh, in lovely fashion. But uh, yeah, out of the past, um, I'm sorry, I'm uh, in a Lonely Place. Uh, Leave Her to Heaven is a- another mm-hmm. one. I you've done work on a lot of these films we're talking talking about. Um, and I just also want to say that last year Buster Keaton was my COVID comfort food, uh-huh. uh, and I watched everything of his, uh, including all the all the shorts, even the uh, Arbuckle ones. And uh, and I'd already seen most of his features, but I rewatched n- not everything, everything because I, I didn't. There's a lot of his acting, late acting work I haven't seen, which
1: always makes me get. so sad. But cause
0: I know that. I know, you know, that he had to, yeah. So, But he, at least he was in uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad Which world. <laughs>
1: we'll talk about later, but um, you know, and we are big Good. Buster fans in this house. Uh, I have a, a daughter who turns 11 next month and she and Buster share a birthday and so there's been <laughs> mm-hmm. a connection uh, ever since and she even has um, a, a friend of mine, Raquel Stetcher, She's, she works for um, Candlewick Press and uh, I guess it was around 2010 uh, her or maybe 2011 um, her, uh, the publishing house she works for put out this little graphic um, novel called Bluffton uh, about Buster. And so she had the author. Um, she sent me a special galley so that when Ellie got old enough, she could see how um, it was put together and then had the author write a really lovely note in the book once it came out and send it to her. And um, we kind of introduced her to, uh, when we were introducing her to film, we would start with a lot of the Buster shorts. And uh, she absolutely adores him. So um, yeah, we're, we're big fans in this house. So,
2: That's wonderful. I always love to hear about people passing, passing this on to the next generation and I think, um, children do really naturally gravitate to him and to those films yeah. and I've never I've, I've rarely known it to fail but yes he is he is still you know I just uh,
1: he's my sweetheart I love still him so the much dearest
2: to my heart yes I
1: love him so and much I think
2: uh James Ag said you know there are there are you know, because Keaton is so unusual, so different from from a lot of other comedians, there are there are those people who don't care for him, but mm-hmm. those who do cannot care lightly. And I've always found that to be true. That's right. That, um, the, those of us who love him, love him, you know, to excess and, and you know, beyond measure. Right. And uh, I was very happy to see him finally come to the Criterion Collection with the cameraman I love it. and the new restoration
0: of that and it's it's really a nice release yeah. so yeah uh and and in fact you've been covering a lot lately uh so Nightmare Alley you already mentioned uh one that I really loved that was a somewhat recently so I think it was earlier this year was the the Furies and mm-hmm. I think that's an example of what we're talking about uh you know it's it's a western but it has a, noir, a lot of noir elements and I hadn't seen it before um I, I love man and um, every, a lot of the people involved. So yeah, that that was pr- that Nightmare Alley are among my favorites of years already. Um, so,
2: yes, no, I'm I'm fascinated by the noir western hybrid. Um, you know, and that was uh, the series. You know, the the first series that I really had the chance to largely sort of suggest and program on the Criterion Channel was the noir western.
0: Nice
2: last summer, um, and it it also comes out of the book and my interest in land, sort of landscapes of noir and I and I, mm-hmm. how noir is kind of tied in with American ideas about space and so on and so forth. But um, but yeah, The Furies, and I mean, Stanwick. Stanwyck is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: she's the best. Favorite,
2: she's the <laughs> best. I mean, I, can we all just like, agree Absolutely. on that?
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, when when Maya, so,
1: when she's on screen or if, um, She's talking, and my husband's in the other room, and if you know he's moving around in the kitchen or something, you hear everything stop. <laughs> it's quiet, and I can hear him go, <sighs> like he is just so in love with her, and he'll walk it. And he's, you know, he's not. Um, he, I have totally ruined his life by making <laughs> making him watch all this classic film, but um, and he actually made a reference to the um to the blacklist and, and uh, the haze and, and also a Hayes code <laughs> reference to his boss. He works for the federal government for a, uh, for, for, a, for an, for an agency, for an agency that's based in um, Atlanta. And he, and he made a, he made a Hays code <laughs> reference to his boss. And I was like, you can't talk like that to the people on the outside. They don't know what the hell you're talking. About. <laughs> but anyways, he sees Stanwyck and it's just, it's over for him. He would leave me for her in five seconds. It's just, you know, him. It, yeah. I think that's something to because be proud I, of. I actually would be like, please don't mind me. Yeah. Help yourself. It's it's like Barbara Stanwyck and Dolly Parton. And it's like, look, it's. you. Oh, good taste. You know, good go taste. for it, honey. Let me, let me, what can I do? You know, can I get you a room? You know, <laughs> like, tell me how I can support this. <laughs>
0: You would leave him for Carrie Grant or Freddie. I would, too, so,
1: so yeah, it's pretty... you know it's fair, you know.
0: <laughs> you have an arrangement that. It that's never right. Um, <laughs> but uh, do you have a favorite of of what the work that you've done for Criterion, uh, Imogen?
2: Oh my gosh, that's um. Of the of the on camera things, um, I've really enjoyed the two that I did for Sam Fuller movies. One was Forty Guns, which is another stand. Yeah. West, yes. completely bonkers <laughs> Western, which I love. Um, and then I also just did uh, Pick Up on South Street. And I don't know. Something That's right. About talking about Fuller, I just I love him so much. And he's, it's so much fun mm-hmm. to look at his movies. So those I enjoyed, you know, of, of the writing. I mean, I think getting to do In a Lonely Place, the the liner essay mm-hmm. was one of my favorite things that I've been able to work on and a great experience.
0: That's great. Funny, fun fact is, uh, my first podcasting experience was after seeing uh, Pick Up on South street at, uh, film forum, that, that new restoration. that was seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. I knew it was going to come someday from criterion. Um, Took a while, and I'm—I I think it was the right time because I was so glad you were added to that. Uh, that's like one of my all-time favorites, and that's a very urban noir too. Mm-hmm. Well, although maybe maybe you can't consider that little shack on the ocean—that's um, oh, a it's, little apart from the city.
2: No, it's very—it is a very urban noir, and and certainly my fascination with non-urban noir does not mean that I don't also <laughs> love. <laughs> Classic, urban, especially, you know, I, I kind of have this obsession with films that are set over a single night, um, these kind of night in the city mm-hmm. movies like Night in yeah, the City, hopefully. also with Richard Widmark, um, Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah. I, I love
1: that stuff. So Yeah. Um,
0: All three of those are among my favorites. So, and I was, uh, I just. Yeah, I love, I love,
1: I love something that takes place, you know, after hours, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed that, you know, that's going to make its way at some point. It's on the
2: channel right now as part of this Mm -hmm. gigantic series of uh, New York movies Mm -hmm. And yes, I love, I love After Hours. one of my it's favorites. So, it's
1: just so bonkers. <laughs> it's bonkers too. Yeah. The
2: first. <laughs> no, what I love about, yeah. what I love about movies set over a single night is that sense that as, you know, they go along, it just, everything gets more and more phantasmagoric mm-hmm. yeah. and crazy. And you kind of get this with, with Elevator to the Gallows and.
0: Right, um, yeah.
2: The Exiles, this amazing film by, by Kent McKenzie. Um you know, they all have this sense that sort of as you get into the wee hours, everything is kind of unraveling and and entering this kind of dream state. Um, I love that as a sort of structuring mechanism for a movie. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. Um, now, Imogen, is there any? I know you have your your favorites, um, but are there any out there that um, that haven't been secured that haven't gotten a deal that you'd really love? Lo-
2: Oh, you mean movies that are that haven't come to Criterion? That or just I, any any label? Mm. Um, well, I think this might now something that that has been at the top mm. of my of that list for me for a long time. Although I think it is now available from maybe in the UK. Is Reckless Moment by Max Ophuls? Um, yes, I, I love that movie. It is kind of a non-urban noir. This is, you know, Joan Bennett, James Mason. So good. Uh, Ophel's last American movie. And it's a domestic, it's a domestic noir. It's, this was, it was remade in around 2000, I think, as, as the deep end with Tilda Swinton. It's That's about right. a mother. Oh, right. It's about a mother whose daughter uh, sort of accidentally kills this man that she's, old kind of sleazy older man she's having an affair with and the mother covers this up and then this blackmailer turns up who has evidence of the relationship but then this really kind of relationship develops between the mother and the blackmailer which is not a straightforward romance but they they kind of bond and have this really interesting relationship um, I just, I love this film. I love it. You know, it's stylistically really interesting. I, yeah, I love, I mean, it's like James Mason in this, you know, black mm-hmm. overcoat with, a, yes. with an Irish. Boy. Like, can yeah. I be blackmailed by James Mason, please? I know, right? Yeah, and it came out on, um,
1: with, um, with um, Powerhouse Films on Indicator. Okay. And this was yeah. in okay. 2019. And just as an aside, Karina Longworth, um, who does the podcast You Must Remember mm-hmm. This, she has... Um, kind of a unrelated to her uh, uh, normal podcast, a spinoff uh,
2: about Joan, Joan Bennett,
1: right? Love is a crime, I believe. Love is a crime. Yeah, be talking a lot about the reckless moment. And sorry about my dog <laughs> nice. barking right now. <laughs> but so she—that's going to be on this next episode. And this mo- Aaron, this movie just.
0: Yeah, and I, I love opals, and I and I love um, I love Mason, I love Mason and, and Noir. I, odd man out is like one of my favorite mm. Noir. Uh, speaking of a bonkers, uh oh yes, I
2: a... I knew there was something I was I was <laughs> not thinking of when I was talking about this this phenomenon of the single night movies, but that is actually one of the very best examples.
0: Yeah, um, that I gets crazy. First,
2: <laughs> that was the first Criterion release that I wrote a, a liner essay for. So really? Also very okay. near and dear to my heart, um, and I I, I just. Yes. I mean, him wandering around the city gradually, you know, dying and sort of entering this kind of transitional state where he's, he's almost like this walking dead figure. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite noirs and, and I loved, I think yeah. Joan Bennett is. Yeah. And I, and I was very happy to see, I mean, I know that the, that podcast has a sort of a hook around this scandal, um, you know, which I think is, is, should not be the thing we think of first when we think of Joan Bennett. You know, her husband uh, shot a man that he believed she was having an affair with. Um, And of course, the husband, this is Walter Wanger, the producer, you know, was welcomed back by Hollywood with open arms. Joan Bennett was ostracized and, you know, it really hurt her career, even though, of course, she had, you know, not been the one who committed a, mm-hmm. a crime <laughs> um but she's she's really one of the most
1: interest one of the most um important noir Absol- actresses ab- and familiar with her work i mean i think she's probably more known today for uh, the, the father of the bride uh original and then the the sequel to that and then also dark shadows um, but she also started out really early yeah. and i absolutely Love these pre-codes
2: she did. Me and my blonde. Raul Walsh when she was a blonde. Yep. Um, and she, yeah, so she has a really interesting, long, varied career. She came from a, an acting family. Her father was an actor. Her sister was Constance Bennett. So yeah, really interesting story. Definitely a, someone who deserves more attention. So I am really happy yeah. to mm-hmm. see that the podcast is... Is, is drawing more attention to her. And yes, I would love to see, you know, a U.S. release of The Reckless yeah. Moment. For some reason, it's always been a kind of under the radar film. It, I mean, I think partly just because when it came out, uh, and this was from Columbia, the this, this studio just, you know, hated it and basically kind of buried it, released it as a B. It never, 49, so it's one of these movies that was kind of cursed from the beginning because it just never, the studio was not behind mm. promoting it. Yeah. Um, and then Ophel's left, went back to France where he had his, you know, much, much better known portion of his career with the films that he made in France. So, um, but it's it's a, it's a it's wonderful. It's It really, it, it turns all of these kind of noir conventions on its head, you know, because instead of being the sort of man who, you know, the sort of, respectable man from the suburbs who is dragged down into this kind of underworld by a femme fatale. It's kind of this respectable housewife and this criminal man. And yet it's kind of he who is, you know, sort of becomes obsessed with her. And it's just it's kind of like classic noir, but everything has this slight twist to it. And it's based on a wonderful novel. If you haven't read the novel by Elizabeth Sengsay-Holding, The Blank Wall, okay. it's also really, really good. Highly recommended.
0: That was probably right around the time of Letter from an Unknown Woman, too. Is that his previous film? Yes. Um, I, I love yes. that one, but that's oh, certainly not too. a noir melodrama. Um, so what's funny is we we were talking about uh, covering international noir, mm. and I think we've touched on it. I, I'm Opal's a little bit, well, that's even though he was working in America, but we have a lot to talk about, so um, this has been enjoyable. I would love to hear uh, your thoughts. I, I, I'm more of like a foreign cinema fan, and I, I particularly gravitate to like 30s French, mm-hmm. and, and even in, even the the, uh, the post-New Wave, the, the French noir. In fact, I I mentioned Elevator of the Gallows as an example of not a noir, but it's certainly a noir. Um, when people t- say that like, uh, I don't know, the first noir is always controversial, but uh, I think a lot of people say Maltese Falcon or Stranger from the Third Floor, kind of not interesting. But I I think of there were a lot of precursors that led to that, and I think a lot of them in France and Germany. So Imogen, do you have any oh, thoughts on that?
2: Well, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's important to kind of distinguish between talking about there is this cycle of Hollywood noir, which you mm-hmm. can say, yes, it starts in the early for, you know, at the beginning of the 1940s, whichever film you want to name, and it ends somewhere around the end of the 50s. You know, mm-hmm. again, people argue a lot about what's the last classic noir, but, but it there clearly is this kind of uh, cycle. It peaks in 1950. That's the year that the, the largest number of movies come out that are now, you know, sort of in in the noir canon. But noir is also a much probably really kind of a universal, always been here, always will be here in some form. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, when people talk about the American noir, it's always about German expressionism, you know, the, the influence of German expressionism, which came particularly with all of the directors who fled Germany, fled the Third Reich, and came to Hollywood, you know, Siod Mac, Wilder, Preminger, o, you know, o, mm-hmm. Bowles, Lang Lang and certainly I mean M when I have taught film noir M is the thing that I show to my students as the as a sort of example of a precursor kind of proto- noir um, and German expressionism is where a lot of the visual style comes from but I also absolutely love French poetic realism and in fact you know that is where the term film noir was first coined I believe that the actual film which was first described I mean the term film noir kind of is a borrowing from the série noir the the black series which Mm -hmm. is this imprint of of crime fiction published by a French publisher Gallimard and so it was like we have this black series of books and 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 it's borrowed for the idea that there is this black film I believe that the film is actually Le Jour Se Lève by Marcel Carnet and Jacques oh, yeah, Claire, yeah, which is totally noir mm-hmm. and was remade in America as The Long Night, a movie that, to me, inexplicably kind of doesn't really work. Um, even though it's got a great cast, it's got a good director, it's, it's hard to say. It just somehow doesn't capture what the original has, but totally, totally noir film. And those films from the 30s, many of them starring Jean Gavin, one of my favorite mm-hmm. actors, are in many ways darker and bleaker than even the things that came out of Hollywood. I mean, uh, there's there's a wonderful quote from Andre Bazin about Jean Gabin that he said something like, "the the the cinema audience will swallow a lot, but it would never accept a happy ending for Jean Gabin." You know, and this was, was in the '30s. Yeah. He just he dies in every movie, often. Yeah himself you know
0: mm-hmm. um, but he's so good he's in so all
2: those good movies.
0: i'm gonna go on record that i i would leave my wife for jean <laughs> cabine
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: close is... the loop on that no <laughs>
2: um yeah so uh, those films and they're very much about kind of france in the 30s mm. as the the war is approaching and these movies were were attacked at the time for sort of undermining everybody's morale with this sort of defeatism um, and, mm-hmm. and there, you know, in addition to the some of the best known ones, which are also, I mean, uh, Julien Duvivier is another director yeah.
0: who Pepe Lamoco, uh, throughout yeah.
2: the 30s, his films are, I mean, throughout his whole career, his films are really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and he made, you know, Pepe Lamoco and, and other films with Gabin. But there's also, I know, Aaron, you and I had had, had an exchange about mm-hmm. our love for Grémillon, Jean Grémillon.
0: Yeah, that's so, great.
2: Another director that, you know, I wish more of his films were available um, and many of them really, you know, Remork and uh, Gildemore mm-hmm. really have that that very noir sensibility.
0: Yeah. Lady Killer is one that I think is. Which not... is
2: Gildemore, That's that's the one I was just.
0: Yeah. OK. Um, I, I did uh, learn French in high school, but it has not helped. But, but what's funny, interesting, I, I did actually study film in college, uh, history and film. Uh, so I, I think one, one thing my film teachers told me is that the best uh, the best writers are film writers. So I think it's interesting. You came from a literary background. Uh, I, I think it still applies. Um, but I, re- I did some studying about Purveyor. Uh, well, really, it led to a study about, um, uh, I guess, the uh, film during the resistance. Uh, mm. And, of course, you know how that goes. If you've taken film classes, you get a big topic and you know, narrow it down. But I did a lot of studying of like the the, the political leanings of, of those of the filmmakers, Prevere especially, Carnet, um and even, even Renoir uh, around thirty five or so. You know, he kind of, you know, I think the whole country was kind of uh, uh, pivoting. So I think it's interesting. I, now I don't know that that John Huston watched uh, uh, Rules of the Game or uh, Port of Shadows or or something. Well, definitely not Russell's game and thought, okay, well,
2: I, you know, I think there, I think there is, I think that seeing the influence of the poetic realism is mm-hmm. not quite as direct as, as German expressionism. And certainly the attempts that were made in Hollywood to really copy it very closely, yeah. they never work. I mean, I just mentioned the long night, the the remake of um,
0: yeah.
2: Le Jour and, You know the the films that gabin made when he was briefly in hollywood he made two or three movies he had left you know because he didn't want to work under the nazis but he Mm -hmm. wanted you know he wanted to go join the free french which he did um but he made a couple of movies and you know there's just they they somehow come off as very phony to me Mm -hmm. um but i absolutely i do think that people had seen these movies i mean French cinema was one of the few, you know, international cinemas that did kind of regularly uh, come to America, even in those Mm days. So I think people were aware of this stuff. And yeah, I'm very interested in looking at these post-war movies, uh, sorry, looking at these pre-war movies, looking at the war and this kind of post-war moment, which is really the kind of global noir moment where you see, film, you know, Japan, and Germany and Italy and other you know, countries. Uh, and you get the, the the rubble films and these movies that are really directly using the kind of noir style and, and tropes to talk about just the incredible devastation and, and loss and trauma that people had just lived through. Um, but then what I've gotten really interested in recently is Things like Mexican noir and Argentine noir and realizing that, you know, it's in many other cinemas that I think people haven't been as much aware of here simply because these films did not ever open in America. Or if they did at all, it would have been only in Spanish language, you know, cinemas that catered to immigrants. They would not have been seen by the mainstream public. Um, so it's been really fascinating to me. And you know, I give a lot of credit to you know, Eddie Mahler and the, the Noir City Festival for bringing a lot of these films uh, to this country. And it's become, you know, I, think, I feel like we, it's become now, um, there's, there's been this kind of series of, of uh, festivals devoted to noir from different countries. And you know, my friends who are curators or programmers always say, the way to get people to come to a film series is to put noir in the title. Or, you know, <laughs> anything that you call such and such yeah. noir, automatically you're going to have three mm. times as many viewers, which, of course, is great for me. Um, but, sure. uh, but but yeah, those countries are really interesting. And um, the take, you know, so like Mexican noir is much more on this kind of melodramatic end of noir. It's not. It's not the kind of cool guys in trench coats and fedoras, you know, and hit men and things like that, that, that are so much a part of French, particularly post-war French noir. It's all melodramas. It's all very much centered on women. Um, there's a lot of great kind of femme fatale characters. Um, it's all very kind of overheated, but, um, but also very, very dark. Um, and then, you know, the Argentine films are really interesting. And, and while I'm talking about them, it's a good moment to plug the fact that a couple of these films are coming out soon oh, good. from Flickr Alley, um, okay. two films that were restored by the Film Noir Foundation, both nice. by a director named Ramon Vignoli Barretto. Okay. Um, one, uh, sorry, I take that back. One is by Barretto. Um, the other is, is not, but... The two films that are coming, I believe, soon, are Los Tallos and Margos, The Bitter Stems.
0: Okay, that's um, right. I, he-
1: I heard about that. Okay.
2: And uh, and the Beast Must Die. Yep. I, La Bestia debe morir.
0: And <laughs> I'm tempted to buy them right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I they're highly recommended. Really wonderful. There are others. The other Barreto film that I've seen that I was thinking of, and which I think may also be somewhere in the works. I hope. Is El Vampiro Negro, The Black Vampire, which is actually oh. a really interesting kind of not so much a remake as almost a reimagining of M with a very feminist slant.
1: Wow! I, uh,
2: sold. So, yes, I know. 100% like, say no, <laughs> no more, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a version of of M where the really the central character is a woman, is is the mother of one of the children who is being menaced by this child killer, and it, it's fascinating, really beautifully done.
0: I can't you wait it I,
2: if you it's... have an opportunity.
0: It's great that we're getting these. I and you know I, I forgot Pepe Lamoco* was remade as *Algiers*. So yeah, certainly, remade the French movies
2: twice yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. So yeah, a lot, a lot of the French films have been seen, but and, and I, I like that Criterion's approach, and, and not just Criterion, but other labels as well, to the act of curation and finding films from elsewhere.
1: Flickr Alley is so great. They do Flicker wonder. They the do best. wonderful work.
2: Well, definitely of, you know, of the Argentine films, and, and I just want to correct myself from my misspeaking. Fernando Ayala is the director of Los Tios Amargos. That's probably my favorite. So if you're going to start somewhere, I would start there. Um, nice. Of the Mexican films, and they unfortunately, they a number of them have been restored. There are gorgeous prints of them. They do Mm -hmm. circulate occasionally, but they have not been released, I think, because there are issues around licensing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the one that I love the most um, is called In the Palm of Your Hand, uh, in La Palma de Tumano by Roberto Gabaldon, and it's about a a fraudulent, you know, palm reader, spiritualist, (laughs) Well, it's Again, got blackmail. It's got adultery. It's yep. got murder. It's got everything. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, it
0: sounds like a Mexican nightmare alley a little bit.
2: It 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 is a bit.
1: Um, it's it's really a wonderful fortune kid. teller, but a fraudulent uh, palm reader. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Unlike I'm, I'm the genuine ones. <laughs> yeah, we need a, a Mexican. Noir Mexican Argentinian Noir uh, box set. So maybe Imogen you can make that happen for us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I wish. Are any of these films um, floating around on certain streaming uh, websites? Now
0: nah. careful Jill. <laughs> I'm not
1: I'm not encouraging anything, but sometimes you can find things Some of them
2: float some of them float around on um,
0: Sometimes YouTube, actually.
2: Yes, some of them, some of them do. However, uh, usually without subtitles and often yeah. in pretty crummy-looking prints. So, yes, yes, but you know that doesn't mean we don't no. still need the no. beautiful, no. Right. Box not, avo- set of- not
1: <laughs> advocating piracy, and I want restoration, important. but right. I, I know that sometimes Internet Archive be a uh, movie lover's friend from time to time so mm-hmm. i i know uh, and there are a lot of his movies that are unavailable and so uh, sometimes you have to rely upon you know collectors and and the like to see some of these films but hope that um more of these get the
0: restoration treatment and get released. Um, and well, Imogen, you touched on Japanese noir, but I mm. think we kind of moved past it. Uh, do you have any examples there?
2: Well, of course, I recently did do uh, an introduction to the Japanese noir series that was on the Criterion channel.
0: Oh, I missed that.
2: Uh, oh, that's, I believe it's still there because most of the films that are in this series are things that live on the channel permanently. And, you know, the thing I always say about the most overused cliche, but the Criterion Channel really is like the iceberg, where the stuff that's like the temporary programming is kind of like the tip of the iceberg. And then there's this huge part that's kind of under the water, which is all of the Janus library films, which are living on the channel all the time. But there's you really have to go and look for them. And uh, so I love to, to give people recommendations of these kind of, you know, deeper cuts from the channel. Um, so yes, the, the Japanese noir series was really fun. This was, um, you know, some of them very well-known films, Mm -hmm. uh, like the Kurosawa stray dog, drunken angel, high and low, those great post-war crime thrillers that he did some of them, uh, much more obscure there were some that i was not familiar with that really enjoyed discovering like zero focus um is a really good one there's a bunch of the nikatsu stuff Mm -hmm. this kind of borderless action films from the 60s which is a really interesting uniquely japanese cultural mashup uh, And and genre mashup because they're kind of noir and they're like Mm -hmm. spaghetti westerns and and gangster movies all kind of combined and with this in this strange kind of um, westernized yet still very Japanese uh, milieu. So really, really interesting films um pale flower is another one that oh
0: yeah Yeah, dominoes dominoes noir noir. that's um oh no dominoes what was the game oh dice Dice.
2: no it's not dice it's it's the it's so it's about it's a movie about gambling and and, um it's a type of of gambling that's done with these tiles which have images on them that's right and i do not understand how the game works but it's really not important <laughs> because it's a great um, film yeah <laughs> but it's a beautiful really kind of a you know kind of again where noir is sort of meeting this japanese new wave stop mm-hmm. um in yeah. the early early 60s and really you know gorgeous black and white widescreen cinematography very existentialist um so yeah i love i love the japanese noir films and the other thing that's interesting about about Japan is when we were talking about precursors and kind of proto-noir is I also really love um, some of the Japanese films from the early thirties, like Dragnet Girl, you know, I feel like people who know and love Ozu may not know that he made these gangster movies (laughs) in the early thirties that are like really snappy and kinetic and uh, full of, of, you know, gun malls and things. And they're, very, very, again, very clearly influenced by, inspired by American kind of Warner Brothers movies, but also giving them a completely different take stylistically and culturally. And they're also coming out at this moment when Japan is still making silent movies, even though it's the 30s. Mm-hmm. This is 33, I think. And they kept making silent movies much longer than almost any other country. But people like Ozu start doing really interesting things with kind of incorporating sound that you don't actually hear. And so really, really fascinating films. And again, you know, appealing for, for people who are interested in noir, although it's certainly probably not something that had any influence on American noir because I don't think these films were ever seen here.
0: Yeah, I don't know if Ozu was was discovered by then. Um, I, I just want to yeah. point out there is an eclipse set of uh, those three yes. crime films from, and uh, they're also on the channel. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not all uh, you know about families and uh, low low. Well, probably probably does have the low camera angles. That's I, I think that was always his thing.
2: But the Japanese were also extremely influenced by French cinema in the '30s, which I think probably also plays a part on you know, plays plays a role in this kind of uh, adoption of of almost some of the poetic realist um, Mm -hmm. kinds of of styles and, and themes. And to me, this is ultimately what I'm interested in, in thinking about international noir, is this kind of idea of a circulation of influence. And it's not going just in one direction. It's, you know, American cinema is obviously very influenced by, German and French. And, mm-hmm. and, and, Soviet, and then there's the kind yeah. of Italian neorealist influence that comes in after the war, and you start getting all of these noir films that are shot on location and are using non professional actors and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's that, and then there's the it goes the other way, you know, and you start getting these French films that are very clearly, you know, drawing influence from American gangster movies and so on and so forth. And you get the same kind of thing in Japan where, you know, you have Kurosawa making you know Yojimbo, which is clearly a western and then it that becomes a spaghetti right, western right. you know and yeah, so there's yeah, yeah. there's just this sense of um it's a
0: it's conversation
2: crossing almost. borders and to me that's pretty mm-hmm. much a part of what noir kind of is is sort of about a world in which borders are very porous
0: so i don't know if this is a well actually one, one last thing I, I was looking at the um the uh, the Japanese noir and I saw pigs and battleships on there mm-hmm. in Meura and I thought that was very interesting and so that's a, that's a very much in conversation with uh, not in conversation but in context of uh, um, the occupation of of J- Japan by Americans so I think that so there was a massive presence um, in in uh, Japan of with America and I've seen that play out in other films um, black River I'm, is, black is River actually is also
2: on, in the Japanese yeah. noir and I have this sort of fantasy double bill of Black River, which is a mm-hmm. Japanese film about, uh, an, you know, set around an American Air Force Base, um, and Black Gravel, which is this German film huh. about set around an American Air Force Base in Germany. Um, this is an incredible movie. This is uh, available from Kino, and I think it's on their streaming service as well as, you okay. said you know black gravel um, both both of these movies are just about this kind of incredible cesspool of sleaze that is sort of springs up around this military which presence is still
1: the case everybody
2: today is everybody is, everybody is just <laughs> yeah, trying to bit. you know get what they can from the their, mm. you know military overlords these you know americans and you know, of course there's prostitution and there's there's bars and gambling and you know black market and all of this kind of of crime and there's these are so fascinating for looking at the post-war moment and the Mm -hmm. the attitudes towards the american influence and and so forth so i love the way that you know there are are aspects of film language that are kind of the same and are being borrowed and used but there's also a way in which different nations are taking the sort of basic ideas of noir and then using them in very different ways right. to address what their country was going through and, mm-hmm. and ways to, to authentically express, I think, their own culture. Um, and so each one of these takes is kind of different. You know, and the feeling of the Mexican noirs is very different from, you know, the French noirs, from the Japanese noirs, from, you know, the Korean noirs that I've seen. And there's always things that you can see that are similar and where people are picking up similar tropes and similar styles. And then there are ways in which people suddenly do something really different. Um, so that's the, that's the fun of this, is that it is sort of um, variations on a theme, but uh, a really interesting way of seeing how people use this, these, uh,
0: Seeing the world kind yeah, of, seeing people, the culture, how
2: people use this, this kind of vehicle of popular culture, um, to, to express really kind of profound thinking about their countries right. at like really kind of traumatic and transitional moments.
0: I highly recommend Black River uh, I love that movie and and as a history film guy
2: toxi Anakadai. Uh, it,
0: it, it, one of his early roles I think sure. that might have been like a breakthrough role for him it um, is yeah yeah he's 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 the best I mean he just generally he's he's awesome so I think that's a good good place to wrap up um yeah. great conversation yeah. thanks Imogen um we usually do short takes but I, th- I don't think we have time for those um, I'm sure we I'll have watched. Well, mine has got kind of be kind of criterion related. I guess yours will too, Jill. But um, so we'll skip to what we call piece of flair, where we just end on a fun note, where we talk about um, some stuff that's outside criterion that we've um, been been grooving on. So Imogen, guest first always. Anything uh, you've been enjoying lately?
2: I have been watching Bertrand Tavernier's eight-part Journeys Through French Cinema. This is uh, available through Kino again. Mm -hmm. Um, Tavernier, who, of course, passed away last year, um, made a three-hour version of this Journey Through French Cinema. um, I don't know, it was about four or five years ago. And at the time sort of said, oh, this is just the beginning and I'm going to do more. And so there is this, each episode is about an hour. He talks about directors, and he also talks about certain themes. He's very interested in music and film. And he goes into a lot of uh, these filmmakers who are not as well-known in this country as they should be, you know, Gremillon, Jacques Becker, another of my favorites. And I love the way Tavernier talks about films. It's very, you know, it's very revelatory, and he has a way of unpacking things, but it's very it's very human, his his response is always very human, very emotional. It's not sort of, um, and, and it's about the films. It's not about him kind of showing off his knowledge. It's really all motivated by his, his love of these films, but a love that allows him to see them really clearly and really kind of um, help you understand what different directors are doing. So, um, I'm kind of working my way through that and savoring it. Although it's one of those things that's frustrating because you're always writing down the titles of films and then going, (laughs) where am I going to find this? But you know, it's totally worthwhile to do that. I mean, just brief, brief brief, uh, digression. But um, another thing that I started watching was um, recently was Mark Cousins' new, also kind of massive series about women and cinema. Mm-hmm. and women it film, opens yeah. women make film and it opens with this scene from a Bulgarian film from 1961 and I remember watching this and thinking this looks incredible I've got to see this where am I ever going to find this <laughs> and then you know feeling sort of uh, despair about that and then when I went to Il Cinema Retrovato this year in July they were showing it so I got to see it it was fabulous so yes I we always have these lists you know of of the things you're looking for and sooner or later usually you get a chance
0: to see them so no surprise I've seen both of those <laughs> and um and this is like my ice cream I just love it so much and as it turns out I was I've talked about it on the show before and we have a Swedish listener who reached out to me and I you can't find a lot of My Zetterling mm. movies in the states because and she but she was a you know, Picture with Bergman as an actress, but also made her own films. I think there might be one or two that maybe you can find. So a Swedish listener found a box set of hers, and he's uh, it's on his, its way from Sweden. So I might, I don't know how long that takes, but one day it'll get here. Um, so and um and yeah, I've seen uh, journeys with French cinema. I made the mistake, uh, and of course. That's that's like like my favorite ice cream. I, that's the mint chocolate. Is <laughs> so, so I just I just loved this series. Um, my mistake is that I love it so much that I basically binge watched it, and I didn't write down the titles. And a lot of that I've, I've seen just because I've studied. But there's still so much there. Um, and you mentioned uh, some of the filmmakers you mentioned earlier are really treasures that uh, that still aren't available. Du actually has a lot of great uh, Gamont uh, releases, but um, they haven't come out here. So. A couple, uh, there's an eclipse of DeVivier as well. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues with Jill's track, especially towards the end of the show, and we lost her short take about uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. I think I got enough Mads in there. And uh, and how she showed it to her daughter, and her daughter loved it. Uh, I'm sure Jill and I will talk about that another time. But that led to a fun conversation about what um, Jap- or International War to show uh, uh, her daughter and uh, here was uh, imogen responding to which kurosawa
2: i was thinking yojimbo i mean there is you know there's some some limbs being lopped off but it's pretty uh, pretty it's pretty I, mm-hmm. no, yeah. no <laughs> eyes being picked out and it's and it's funny right it's, yeah. it's funny and it's, it's got great music and it's got a great central performance i think that would probably be my
0: vote um, well, mine is informed by uh, Criterion, and I'll just say that I was just in New York a few weeks ago, and I love the city. Uh, I go, I've been there several times, and um, uh, but I've never really been a show tunes guy, and it's not really for any reason. I just um, it's just not a genre that I've gravitated to. I've seen one musical, and um, in, in New York, and which and, musical uh, was, was that? Uh, it was the Book of Mormon. <laughs> So Cats, Cats might have soured me on uh, Broadway, but this brought me back. So what, what I'm talking about is Company. Uh, so Criterion just released the original cast recording of a Company, and uh, we've talked about it a couple times, and I wa- I've already watched it three times. I just love loved that so much. And I, part of it is just because I love 70s Verite, and I love Penny Baker, and just the way he tells a story uh, within you know and speaking of a nights uh, you know a nights events unraveling they recorded this over like 30 hours and uh, before they had to you know go go perform it again and so yeah i i loved it i loved the whole uh, uh, the disc the supplements they had the, the documentary now episode which was far funnier than the first time i saw it because i had no idea what was going on and finally, I watched the actual musical itself uh, on YouTube. I watched the uh, Rallo Asparza um, version, and I loved it. And I, I, I love just how creative it was. It's really not about anything. It's just character evolution and um, expressions through music. And and I think this is kind of Sondheim is probably my my bread and butter more than Andrew Lloyd Webber for sure. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I I just love love the movie. Love it. it's the way it talks about New York, and uh, and also just you know growing older and wiser, and things making sense. So that's it. I'll have to check it out. All right. Um. So Imogen, I I, I don't know if you I think you have a website, don't you? We're, we're, I don't.
2: I actually don't. That's on my. I am. <laughs> I am the, <laughs> the. I am like the woman without a website. I love I it. Like person in america who doesn't have my own website it is actually something i am always thinking i need to do but i i'm too busy doing other things to, to do that <laughs> and i'm really not a i'm not a social media person at all so yes, I, yes. I i am sort
0: of good for your mental health
2: <laughs> i think so yes but um i i realize i'm kind of i'm, I'm elusive I guess. So on the, on the,
0: you don't yeah. have a social media or much of a, a, a footprint. So that's great. So I guess the answer of, to where, where... We always ask where people can find you.
2: <laughs> they can't. No, I mean, where people can find me is is basically on, on Criterion and on the other places where I publish my writing. and um, I'm trying some kind of an approach of, of being elusive instead of, of there being too much of me. I hope it's... Uh, <laughs> There's just,
0: uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm, cl- I'm glad I found you, or I'm glad we found you. But, uh, but. Yeah.
2: No, I really do think about creating a website just so that there's a place where all of my writing lives in one place.
0: Searching Criterion, you came up with I think 63 hits. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> that, that's that's where to find you. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find the show at Criterion. Criterion Cast, uh, Criterion Cast Master Feed. And, um, well, it's been a pleasure talking to yes. you. I can't can't wait for uh, High Sierra. And I think, what else do you have coming out um, soon? That's
2: Well, I, yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, it's been announced.
2: The High Sierra may be the only one that, that has actually been announced. I, I There are other things I'm working on right now, which I am not mm-hmm. at liberty to talk about yet, but um, things will be coming um, on the channel
1: and on the website. Um, and when does the Myrna Loy the book? Uh, do you know the date for that? I don't know the date. I think
2: they said October. So I'm think I'm thinking this. Fall. Um, it is already the the the. It is already listed on the website, right. and I believe can be pre-ordered. Okay. Um, but I, it has not come out yet.
0: And we'll put that link in the notes if anybody wants to buy that. So if it's it's available available for pre order, it'll be ordered today in this household. So uh, looking forward to it. Uh, Great talking to you. And yeah, thank you for having me. This
2: was really fun. A lot of fun.